Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And first and foremost, we hope everyone out there is doing well during these unprecedented times. I'm Dave Giancola from the USGA, joined as always by my colleague and co-host Mike Trosel. Mike, how are you? Great to be with you, Dave. Absolutely good to be with you. And today we are so excited to be joined by 2010 U.S. Women's Open champion Paula Creamer. Paula, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing in what must be such a different type of spring season for you? Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me first off. And uh, yes, it's definitely, um, it's, it's been a crazy year, that's for sure. I, I don't think anybody could have imagined this happening Um you know, you, you definitely get to, to learn what it's like for us golfers who travel all the time, kind of what a normal life, I guess, would be like you staying at home. Um, and I use normal relatively, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, not being able to travel and being home has definitely had its benefits, but um, we are all itching and we're getting ready to go, that's for sure. Yeah. And before we dive into the golf, I think a lot of folks have maybe taken up a new hobby during these times. I've seen a lot of pictures of people doing 2000 piece puzzles, catching up on the books they haven't read in 10 years, binge watching streaming shows. What are you up to when you're not maybe playing golf and, and practicing? You know, I have actually, I love being at home. So I've just really embraced, um, being at home and I've always loved to bake and now I'm really into cooking. Um, so that's kind of been a, a big change for me. You know, I'd always like to make the cakes and the cupcakes and the pies and bread and things. And now I'm making you know, all sorts of you know dinner meals and every night's a different night. Um, my fiance, Shane and I, we, we built a raised garden bed <laughs> together. I mean, these things that you would just, you wouldn't think you would be doing at the end of April, um, you know, that we're, we're actually able to do. And I've been really into podcasts lately and just things that honestly, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty grateful for all of this because I've, I've learned a, a lot um, just about taking care of yourself and kind of new hobbies, like you said. <laughs> well, with cooking, Paul, it seems like you're ready to start operating a full service restaurant there. Sounds delicious <laughs> between the baking and, and the meals. Uh, but now with the LPGA targeting uh, what what is hopefully a mid-July return, are you playing or practicing at all, or how will you ramp back up in anticipation of the start of the season? Um, you know, I it's been hard because it's kind of I've always said this is seems like it's a rain delay. You know, one of our typical golf rain delays of we'll we'll let you know in forty five minutes. We'll let you know in forty five minutes. So. You know, I've been trying to just be patient and not, you know, I've been working on on things in my golf game, but I've been really trying to take care of my body, um, doing a lot of rehab still with my wrist. And, uh, you know, once the time gets coming, then, yes, I would say within the next, um, you know, three weeks, I'd really start to crank it up a bit. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot. And you know, when we start back out again, it is just it's nonstop. It's just all go different countries and everything. So, you know, being rested and, and ready to go is going to be key, uh, you know, being in, in that shape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it must be so tough kind of reconfiguring an entire year. But as we talk about the current calendar, I wanted to hop back 10 years uh, to 2010 and the U.S. Women's Open at Oakmont, where obviously um, you emerged victorious. But to put us back in that mindset, I wanted to have you listen to something. Creamer for par at the 72nd hole. Title. 
disappointed this year. Tears of joy. Paula, when you hear that, what does that bring back from an emotional standpoint? Oh, and I I have goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, it is. It was such a surreal moment. It was such an awesome week, all in all. And uh, I mean, the things that I have overcome, you know, in just my career that week was just so important. And I've always, you know, whenever I have kind of down moments out in the golf course or whatnot, I think about that week because I just I prevailed. I mean, it was my first week back balls off of not off of a tee you know on the driving range and I was taking these little victories um you know I had my thumb surgery and to hold a trophy at the end at Oakmont you know one of the most prestigious golf courses in the world it's just it's it's crazy it's like a Cinderella story for myself um that's for sure Paula you mentioned the wrist injury now just to set the scene for everyone You'd been professional at that point for about five and a half years. You'd already won eight times on tour, but in 2009, you started to feel some discomfort with the wrist. And in 2010, you had that surgery. Was there ever a time during or before the surgery or even during rehab when you thought you may never play golf again, or at least not play at a championship level? Oh, yes. Um, There were definitely some, some low times with that. And you know, it's, it's scary, but I couldn't do anything other than have surgery. You know, I it exhausted every avenue known to man. My um, my dad and my manager, Jay, and my coach, David Whelan, we, we did everything. We went and saw baseball guys. We went and saw, I mean, you name it. You try to make a prosthetic cast for my thumb, you know, I mean, just things like that. I mean, we did, we did everything. And so I knew in my heart that it was my only option was to have surgery. And, and during rehab, when you're pulling a rubber band, you know, between your index finger and your, your pointer finger and your thumb, and you're trying to stretch it out and you're basically in tears, you know, the last thing you think is you're going to go and hit a bunker shot, you know, like a flop shot out of there. Um, so I definitely had my, my highs and lows. Yeah, and you certainly need to uh, to have your high and have your best game uh, for the uh, for the U.S. Women's Open. Now, for that championship, you've now played in 17 consecutive of them. You've you've had a lot of success in that championship. What is it about the U.S. Women's Open that, that brings out the best in your game? And what do you think you need to succeed, uh, especially from a mental approach, to play well in the Women's Open? It's it's the hardest week of the year. Uh, it's always at a difficult golf course. Um, there's just, you know, USGA always sets up, a, sets it up differently than, you know, kind of what you plan for. Um, you know, obviously we know, you know, certain tee boxes, but the wind might be different that day on that tee box, you know, and then your plan changes. So you're constantly having to adapt. And I think, you know, playing in so many US Opens now, I've, I've realized what it does take. And, and I feel like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are just as important as Saturday and Sunday um, because a lot of people just want to stay out there and play that golf course and be out in the golf course for five, six hours. But it's it's too much. You know, you've got to be able to to give your mind a rest and and go play. Um, you know, be strong in in actual tournament days. You, know, you can kind of over overplay the golf course too much. You know, too much homework at a time. You know during that week. So I feel like my preparation has definitely has changed over years. And I think that that has helped a lot. Yeah. And when you talk about that, that mental 
strategy, not only during the Women's Open, but obviously coming back from an injury. Do you draw inspiration from anyone in particular? Uh, you know, a lot of people recently have been talking about the Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality, for example. Is there anyone that you pointed to growing up or especially during maybe those times where you had to rebound or be mentally tough? Where did you find that inspiration? Well, I, you know, before playing playing golf, um, I was a, a dancer and a gymnast, and I will never forget watching Carrie Strug on her vault, and it was just the most incredible moment for me. I mean, because at the time I was a gymnast, and to have done that vault um, with a broken foot, I mean, it's just it just shows you how strong you know the mind is, and you can overcome anything. I mean. If she could overcome that, I feel like I can handle a five footer, you know, I mean, there's, there's a kind of a point of view to, to look at it that way, but, um, she's always been someone that, um, that moment, I just, it's, it's always been stuck in, in my mind of just pure courage and perseverance and resilience. And I mean, that's always what I've wanted to like, empower on the golf course. And so I felt like that's kind of been, been a, a person who I've looked up to. And it seems like that mental approach, that perseverance and resilience, really important in the Women's Open, especially at the course that you played in 2010 in Oakmont. Uh, you know, the second time it had hosted the Women's Open, but it already hosted eight U.S. Opens. You know, looking back at the champions there, Ben Hogan and, and Jack Nicholas, Johnny Miller, uh, you know, pretty incredible Ernie Els in 1994. Had you been to Oakmont before the 2010 Women's Open? Uh, and even if not, what did you think when you saw the course that week? You know, I I did not, I was never there before. I did play, um, I think it was about three weeks, maybe four weeks. That's probably maybe, yeah, because it was my fourth tournament back. So it was about eight weeks before that um, where I went out and I played the golf course. I mean, I didn't even hit any balls on the range. I just went out and played because my thumb was still, um, you know, trying to save it for when I started back up again. And I remember all the reporters the whole year talking, asking about, what do you think about Oakland? What do you think? Are you like, what do you fear? You know, it's one of the hardest places ever. And I remember walking off that golf course in my first practice round and absolutely loving it. And every interview I did, you, you, you'll hear me say, I, I loved it. I thought it was hard. I thought it was fair too. Um, you, know, you use every club in your bag. There's not a lot of golf courses that are like that. You have to hit draws, you have to hit fades. And I, I loved it. And I heard horror stories. It was like horrible, horrible stories. And obviously watching the film on it, um, you know, when I was at home rehabbing, I, I was mentally preparing for that week. And I watched a bunch of the videos and, you know, knowing where to hit it, where not to hit it. Um, but I, I, you know, I haven't been back since to play it. Let's just say that I have great memories. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think of Oakmont, you certainly think of Arnold Palmer, someone who, Nearly won the U.S. Open there in 1962, losing in a playoff and grew up uh, just about 35 miles away in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. So it's kind of his backyard. You had the opportunity to spend a little time with Arnie on that Wednesday doing a clinic together. What, what was that like getting to spend some time with the king out there in his backyard? You know, it's funny you say that because I, I just did a Q&A and one of the questions was about Oakmont. And I said, I mean, out of all of the great moments that week, I mean, holding a trophy and just, you know, hitting great golf shots, that clinic with Mr. Palmer on Wednesday and his basically like his backyard was just so awesome. You know, he gave me some great advice. He told me, you know, keep your head down, keep, you know, just don't, don't look around, just walk to your ball. 
Um, you know, a lot of the times you hear the opposite, you know, keep your head up, look forward. And he actually said, no, Paula, keep your head down and just walk to your ball. Don't look around and uh, try to stay as focused as you can. And, and it was just, it was so cool. I, I, I got an awesome picture of us from that from that clinic. And then from there, I mean, he said, he's like, you're going to win this. And, you know, obviously when Mr. Palmer says something like that too, you're like, Oh, okay. You know, (laughs) that's a great thing. And then to actually have won, he sent me a letter afterwards and said, I told you you were going to win. I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. How incredible is that? It's always exciting going to Oakmont for a U.S. Open, and then you add Mr. Palmer at a clinic on Wednesday. How cool is that? But then you get to Thursday, and it's time to get balls in the air and to start a major championship. And just to kind of fast track and get to the weekend, in round one, you actually finish that round trailing Brittany Lang, our 2016 U.S. Women's Open champion. She won out at Cordoval. You trail her by three strokes. Uh, And then round two, getting back into it, round three, you get you can't even finish so by the time you get to sunday you've actually opened up a three stroke lead through 54 holes but unlike kind of a traditional thursday through sunday you're not sleeping on the lead you're taking a 5 hour break with the lead so again back to the mental aspect and of course the physical aspect right because you might get cold and have to warm up was that was that better than sleeping on the lead or was that the longest 5 hours of your life you know, honestly, um, I guess, it, I mean, for me, it worked out that I wasn't sleeping on the lead. You know, I, I knew I had to go out and finish my rounds. Um, I think I had about one, two, I think I had about four and a half holes left. And I, you know, I, I knew we had a plan. Um, when we came back, I would rest. I'd obviously, I'd ice my thumb because it was a lot of golf for me on the weekend. And, you know, I remember it was my fourth tournament back after, after surgery and so we, we knew I needed a rest put my you know put my hand in a bucket of ice for as long as I possibly could and my favorite bakery we went there every single day my coach David Whelan and I at the time we went every single day to this bakery so in that break we went to the bakery <laughs> you know it was just um it was just a plan and, and I think it was okay because my my family and my you know were there and they were kind of just no TV was on, nothing like that. It was just easy, um, not too much stress, and then it was ready to go play the final round. Yeah, nothing like a sweet treat to get you ready for a final <laughs> round of, of a championship Sunday. Now, Polly, at that point, you had not won a major championship, and, and you said you were getting asked a lot of questions about that in your career. You're only 23 years old, but I think your position in the game, having already won eight times, I think the expectations certainly were very high. Did you feel some added pressure uh, on that Sunday, uh, knowing that there there were maybe were some expectations on you to to hopefully pull out that first major championship victory? Um, I would say yes, of course. I mean, there was obviously not just pressure from everybody else, and you know, but it was pressure from myself and. I didn't want to make it bigger than what it was. I knew obviously I had a great opportunity to, to win my first major and nobody could say <laughs> any more best player to not have won a major with only, you know, like whatever fifth year out there on tour. Um, so I wanted that to kind of go away more than anything. And I think the fact that I did have that break and I did have, you know, my mind focusing on my hands, you know, kind of took my mind away from the fact that, you know, what the pressure really was. And, 
for me, I just, I wanted to go and play the game plan that we had. And if I had any time, if there was any time in any moment that I needed to stick to what we said on Wednesday night, this is what we're doing with this golf course in these certain situations, that was the time to do it. Instead of re trying to reschedule things around or rethink things out on the course. Um, you know, I, and there was moments out there where we definitely went again, we wanted to do something different, but we didn't. And a key stretch on Sunday going in on the back nine really holds 12 through 15, um, 12, the par five, you missed your first fairway of the day and then you hit your third shot and, and you kind of react like the wrist might mm-hmm. be bothering you again. Did, did you start to, did you feel a little twinge with that shot uh, at that point on um, number 12? I, I mean, I know it's 10 years ago and I can still feel it. Uh, yes, it was, I think just the grain of the grass and where the ball was too. It was, I just went straight down into into the ground. It was just like those pins and needles that went straight up your arm. And I was thinking, this is no way, this is not happening. We, you know, we are going to go through this. And I remember looking at Colin, my, my caddy and being like, that hurt. <laughs> that, and he's like, okay. He's like, let's just take a deep breath. And my pain tolerance is, is very high. It's actually too high. It's probably why I had to have <laughs> thumb surgery um, the way I did. And he looked at me and I told him, I said, that one, that, that hurt, that stung. And he's like, okay, well, let's get some ice. So I put my, a couple ice cubes on it. I mean, that doesn't really do anything for two minutes, but it's peace of mind, I guess. Well, you certainly shook it off. I mean, back-to-back birdies on 14 and 15. And then, of course, as we heard the soundbite from Dan Hicks, tears of joy for Paula Kramer mm-hmm. on 18. Those tears of joy came with your mom and dad right by the green. What did that mean to you? Uh, just all the the hard work, the blood, the sweat, the tears, everything. And to have, you know, my parents there to, to witness that and to have walked you know, every hole with me, uh, you know, it was just, it was so special. And it was a moment, you know, that I wish I could, could go back and feel again, because it's just, I mean, thank goodness we have it on, on, on video, on film, we can always watch it and hear it. But, you know, it's just, there's moments like that in your life that you, you just never forget. And that was just such a monumental moment. And to have them be there, um, it was really, really special. And Paula, you did something that Ben Hogan, Jack Nicholas, Johnny Miller, Ernie Els, or Angel Cabrera didn't do in their U.S. Open wins, and that's close with three consecutive subpar rounds to win at Oakmont. Uh, it's certainly quite the accomplishment. So now we're talking about hoisting the trophy. How did he celebrate your victory in the days that followed? <laughs> you know, um, after that night, we went down downtown there and uh, went to one of the restaurants that we went to pretty much every other night or we would cater from and at home and we went there and the bakery made me a cake which was really cool um you know they, they gave that to me when I was there and we had a great dinner with all family and friends and uh, after actually Getting back, I you know did since I live in Orlando, I did a lot with um, Nikki and Minnie Mouse, <laughs> which was was uh, kind of fun. Being and we did a putting contest, but then I went and I flew with the Thunderbirds over Oakmont, um, which was just one of the most the coolest things I think I've ever done in my life. Um, so that was really special that I got to have that opportunity after after winning at Oakmont. 
Well, as we look now 10 years forward to 2020 and the calendar that has just gone crazy, obviously, that, you know, the U.S. Women's Open moving from June to December, what's your plan for winning 10 years later? How do you do it? Oh, man. Um, you know, I'm coming off of, obviously, an injury again, so with my, my wrist, so who knows? Maybe that's, that's what I need. That's, <laughs> this, is the, <laughs> this is the mojo that I, I need going into to U.S. Open is to be, you know, a little bit hurt. But, uh, you know, um, you know, obviously you have, you know how to do it. I know how, you know, I know how to, to win a major um, it's just, you know, finding that golf course, finding those four days, obviously you've got to be lucky. Um, that's got to, you know, pull, pull a big part of it, but, uh, being confident, making putts, um, you know, pars and, you know, open never hurt you. And I think sometimes you, you think you're just making par after par after par, you feel like you need to make a bunch of birdies and you really don't. So that mentality and that mindset is something I need to get back to at a, at a U.S. open. Now, Paula, this will be the latest in the calendar year that the Women's Open has played. been played. Normally, your season ends in November, but a little bonus golf this year with uh, the Women's Open and then the Tour Championship right around the holidays. But this is the 75th playing of the U.S. Women's Open, uh, the diamond anniversary for that championship. Uh, in 2014, you were part of a reunion down at Pinehurst with all the uh, living champions coming back, celebrating together. You know, What does it mean to be part of that select group, to have your name on the women's open trophy with some of the game's greats. It's, I mean, in all the things that I've done so far in my career and hopefully many, many more things to come, having my name on the U S open trophy is I think number one on the list. Um, it's just such a special, special group to be a part of. Um, you know, there's not a lot of them. And when, because a lot of them have won multiple times. And, you know, those are the best players in the world. Those are the best players that have played, you know, women's golf and both on the men's side and women's side. And it's just, it's really special. And nobody can take that away from me, you know, which is uh, is really cool. I mean, it's, a, it's a something that I think as a little kid, everybody says, this is a four-footer, this is a five-footer to win the U.S. Open. This is a six-footer, got to get up and down to win the U.S. Open. I mean, how many times I've heard that growing up, I, I, you could play it in my, in my sleep. And then to have that, um, it's just, it's so special. And it's, it's an honor to be a part of that group. Thanks, Paul. I mean, it certainly is so incredible that you have the dream as a kid. And then as the phrase goes, you get to live the dream uh, along those other uh, special names etched on the U.S. Women's Open trophy. And with that, it's been so great catching up with you, reliving 2010, looking forward to December. And with that, we can't wait to see you down in Houston in December. And in the meantime, as we mentioned, we hope that uh, that you and everyone around you just stays uh, happy and healthy and you get out there and get some practice before things start back up. Yes. Um, thanks again, you guys, for having me. I, I really appreciate it. hope everybody's staying safe. Thank you, Paula. We really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget, you can relive the best moments from this incredible championship anytime on the USGA's YouTube channel and the USGA streaming app on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire. You've got to check it out. There's a ton of great content to enjoy. We have a 30-minute highlight film about the 2010 U.S. Women's Open. We have the classic finish, really taking Paula down the stretch as she persevered to victory back at Oakmont. So certainly check it out. You can spend all day streaming that content. So with that... For Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola. Thank you, Paula Creamer, again for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.